Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. The Better Samaritan Podcast, where we're learning how to love our neighbors well in a world filled with injustice and pain. Join me, Kent Annan, and Jamie Aiton, my co-host and colleague at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, as we interview experts with insight on learning to do good better. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revived Thoughts. But since it is written, faith without works is dead, and he who knows God must keep the commandments, then these are the commandments of God which we challenge you to do and to keep. Every episode, we bring you a voice from history and a sermon that they delivered. Today, we are going to be hearing a sermon from Boniface. It was preached in the 700s in Germany. Joel, we always start episodes like this with just some kind of basic reminders for everybody. This sermon is old. We're it going is back. 1,300 years old or so. Uh, back in those days, Germany was not yet Christian, and it was also not yet Germany. English was still a very young language in the world, just kind of getting going. This sermon um, is very different than most sermons you will listen to on this show. If this is your first episode, I wouldn't recommend basing revived thoughts off this episode. At the same time, I would listen to it. It's a cool sermon. I think there um, is stuff to gain from it. And I think the reason this sermon is a little bit different too is because he's kind of summing up a bunch of commands and ideas of what Christianity is in this sermon. And I got the impression from my research that this was kind of an epilogue, maybe a finale sermon, almost like Paul leaving Ephesus. This is his kind of final hoorah in the area that he would leave for people as a reminder of this is what we as Christians hold on to and believe. Um, but in sermons like this, some of the old ones that are different, I always recommend just saying, you can focus on how this is kind of a different sermon than what you're used to, or you can focus on the fact that our faith 1,300 years ago, these are the same principles and same things we believe now as we believe then. Our faith is very old and consistent. Yeah, yeah, that is neat. Boniface, uh, he was born in London in 675. 
Yeah, Boniface was born in 675 in London, but what is really interesting about this episode is if you remember over the summer, we did an episode on Gregory the Great. If you haven't listened to it, I actually think that episode's a good prequel to this one, Uh, but go back and you'll remember that at the end of the 500s, there was a single Christian in England. It was this princess who had been born, you know, married off to a pagan prince in England, and she said, I have one rule. You have to bring a priest over so I can still take communion. When the priest died, she sent a letter to Gregory the Great saying, hey, I don't have a priest can you send me a priest in England and he had made no converts the last one in like 20 years he had been there and Gregory the Great was like I'll do you one better I'm gonna send the whole missionary army we're gonna make England Christian for the Lord basically that happened in the late 500s early 600s and now 75 years later you see Boniface being born into a Christian world essentially yeah and so it's almost like this episode is completing the work that Gregory the Great started. You couldn't have Boniface if you didn't have first Gregory the Great and his yeah. heart to see a country come to Christ. That's one of the neat things about this show is you get that hindsight. You get yeah. to be able to see the effects that these people had where all of us living today will never know how we affected the world because we'll be long dead. That's true. Boniface's name uh, originally was actually Winfred, and I'm not entirely sure why he changed it to Boniface, but it was when he was very young. Someone might, if, if there's a listener who's an expert in linguistics and knows what these names mean or why he might have changed his name, uh, let us know. Write into the show. Revive you write us. it in, and we promise when we get to the next episode or we that we we'll, record, we'll, 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 do a correction. we'll, we'll, we'll let everyone know who told us what Revive it was about. Revivethoughts.gmail.com, yeah. At age five, he saw some traveling evangelists, some missionaries that came through his town, and they made a real impact on him, and he decided that's what he wants to do. I want to be a missionary. I want to be an evangelist. I want to go uh, and speak and inspire people for Christianity, for Christ. His family actually wasn't a huge fan of this career path for him because they kind of saw his family was pretty well off and they saw this as kind of a step down from uh, from other career paths that he could have taken. You want to be a missionary? You want to like, there's no money in that. I think people today can relate to that. Still a problem 1300 years later. (laughs) (laughs) So he goes to school. He starts learning. He writes the first English book of Latin grammar and he's a poet. He's a uh, he's he writes a lot of songs, a lot of popes. He's he's very well liked and uh, popular in his hometown. Probably charming with the ladies, I'd imagine. You know, if you're song, you're, you're he's he's speaking poetry. <laughs> he's writing poetry all day. He's yeah, kind of almost like a celebrity pastor. That are we, we going back of. to revive dating hour now? Back a, a revive the classic show, show we give where we give advice from Hopefully the past. That, uh, that needs to never be a thing. Uh, but eventually, when he's about forty, he says, "Enough is enough. I need to get I need to get cooking on this missions thing that I set out to do initially." And so he goes out to the Netherlands, which was an area that uh, was in need of the gospel a lot during this era which is okay there's a bit of confusion like if you're a modern person you don't think of the netherlands as this unchristianized you know savage area that's exactly what it was in the 600s and the late you know early 700s also we kind of mentioned it. he was very popular he was kind of a preacher teacher songs poet i mean imagine a celebrity pastor in a lot of ways who everyone in the hometown likes in the 40s just suddenly goes i'm gonna head off to this area where no one knows Christ and I'll put my life on the line for him. That's pretty much what Boniface does. But things in the Netherlands are not easy going. The legend and the way the story normally goes is that Boniface had a terrible time, goes to England, and eventually decides not Netherlands, but Germany's where I'm going to go. 
But recent scholars say that actually, it's kind of not what happened. Um, in 714, the area of the Netherlands, which included Belgium and some other parts of Europe, uh, went through a revolt. A king had died, so the new king taking over had to kind of subdue the lands to get everything under control. And during that time, the Christians and priests were kind of pushed out. The churches were toppled. Um, a lot of them were pillaged and were kind of ruins. But Boniface actually met with this king himself and the new one. And the new king gave Boniface permission to kind of move about freely and do whatever he needed to do. He spent some time there, and then he kind of left after a defeat of not really seeing the gospel move forward. Uh, However, he would eventually come back, and he would stay there for three more years. And those three years, which were originally, again, considered part of a defeat, actually seemed like they were more fruitful from that. What seemed to have occurred, though, was a different kind of friction with other people. Yeah, yeah. During those three years in the Netherlands, he, he, from all accounts, seemed to be a real shepherd, a real caretaker, a preacher to the people. Um, But it seemed like other parts of the leadership in that area were more about policies and leading from high above. And this created tension between Boniface and the leadership. And it resulted in a lot of fights of how Boniface thinks that they should be doing things there so much so that he would end up leaving uh, again. So this kind of was more of a Paul and Barnabas or an inter-ministry, sure. intra-ministry right. conflict, not so much an outside persecution situation. Right. When he left, uh, he wrote a letter to Rome, kind of updating the progress of, of his work there to the people in Rome. In his letter, he mentioned what he said, in quote, savage Germans that didn't know God as well, kind of as far as those people um, throughout that area. And so they asked him if they'd be willing to go to Germany instead, or you know what, at the German area at that time, and he was thrilled. So he agreed to it, and they they kind of nicknamed him the Apostle to the Germans, which is a pretty cool nickname. It's not a bad name to have. Not a bad nickname. He was given these letters of protection, and it's kind of a, a neat concept to think about because you know Europe during that time is kind of the wild west. But if you have a letter from the Pope, or you have a letter from, uh, as we find out, the grandfather of Charlemagne, uh, basically saying, "Hey, this person uh, don't." Don't let him get taken by bandits. Don't let him get taken by bandits. Don't uh, keep him in prison like you. Immunity from political powers and things at that time that are protecting your the work that you're doing there. Um, it's kind of neat to have. And so he, he had these letters of protection that would allow him to do that missions work in that area. When he worked in Germany, kind of with the Frankish people, he was very successful. He was a zealous missionary. There's this really cool story where he would just be known for knocking and toppling any idol that he saw. I mean, this is a pagan people, no different than uh, pagan peoples that you'd see in Old Testament times or whatever. So they'd build these statues and worship them. When he found them, he would he, they called him the missionary with an axe. He would just tear him straight down. There's this really famous account where he found this large oak tree that was a shrine to Thor, and the people would gather there and worship. When he saw it, he took his axe over and just started swinging it at the tree, and everyone rained all these curses down on him. You know, they're like, Thor, spite you. Thor will kill you. But again, he had these letters of protection. They couldn't do anything about it, even though they were so frustrated. They hated him. But then the tree falls and the tree opens up and inside the tree was completely rotten from the inside out pretty much. And this great shine was thought to be from a god, but the gods can't have rotten trees. And so everyone realized, oh, that's not an actual... And it it literally almost the entire village in that moment converted on the spot when they realized they had been worshiping a dead tree. This kind of tough behavior made him very effective. No one had 
had any councils, these kind of things to kind of check in on what the missionaries and priests were doing, how what were the methods and strategies for evangelizing the land. They hadn't done them in decades, but when he was there, in just five years, they ended up having five of them, and he was there to clean up corruption, deal with scandal, get everyone back on the task of evangelizing and bringing Germany into Christianity. So in some ways, he was kind of an early revivalist, too, because he was getting the Christians who were lukewarm to snap back into the faith, uh, and things were going well for him in Germany. But he did have a hard time. One group he did struggle with was the other missionaries. He was not a big fan of how the other missionaries, uh, not all missionaries, but certain missionaries, uh, he he had very firm opinions. Troy talks about, yeah, being firm, maybe some would see it as cruel or tyrannical at times. with how he was he wanted them off the field he thought they were doing more harm towards the gospel than helping it um which they may have been yeah, it kind of ever so slightly reminds me of hudson taylor who was known for also being a bit mm. of a tough guy an iron-fisted guy who wanted the people on the field to be very serious right. it's so much so that he would actually he would write letters to the pope essentially asking for these missionaries to be solidary confined or excommunicated because <laughs> he thought that they were so ineffective and, and damaging the cause so much um again can sound kind of tyrannical but his motivation always seemed to be honest and Mm -hmm. and pure he wants to see the gospel get led and we see the support he has from everyone around him that kind of helps paint his character someone that is more honorable albeit very harsh when Mm -hmm. when uh when those topics come up This episode is brought to you by the Better Samaritan podcast with hosts Ken Annan and Jamie Aiden. The whole idea is we're looking at how do we do good better. The Good Samaritan helped out along the road, but then in Dr. Martin Luther King's sermon, he talked about how we want to also figure out why did the person get beat up along the road? So we want to make the whole road safer. So that's that's where we're coming from on this podcast. Far too often, we've seen Good Samaritans whose hearts were in the right place but because they weren't also helping with their smarts, they actually ended up causing harm. So we really want to bring both our, our faith and look for biblical understanding, as well as what can research and science teach us to be able to help us do this work better. Most often, it's these small acts of kindness that make the biggest differences in the lives of our neighbors. And so on the podcast, we explore those small ways to get involved, those tangible, practical, concrete ways of what it means to love our neighbors. You can find Better Samaritan anywhere you get podcasts. His parishioners absolutely loved him. Uh, The town he left in England loved him so much that they would consistently send him gifts and money and encouragement. Eventually, his his followers in England would leave England to come and join him there. That's how much you love him when you when that that pastor that uh, left your hometown leave your hometown to yeah. go and, and join his that celebrity pastor who left thirty years ago. Right. You're all getting together to join him on the other side. Yeah, that speaks to that speaks to your character quite a bit. And he would end up forming multiple monasteries uh, with his time there in Germany. And when he got older, when he's in his in his seventies, uh, he'd actually end up going back to the Netherlands and trying to minister to them in uh, in his old age. Uh, when they get there in his seventies, they went to a coast. They were waiting for some of those English people that were from his old town that he that were going to help him join in this new big Netherlands outreach mission. So there was Boniface and about 50 of his people, and the, they were waiting on boats to arrive. But around the same time, a group of raiders, to me, it almost sounds like an early Viking group, lands. And uh, some people ran and hid in the trees, and they, they saw what happened. 
Uh, these were, they said some of the newer, you know, newer workers with Boniface, but the old people, they stood by Boniface and they were killed right there on the beach. And when they found Boniface, he had a copy of a book written by Ambrose. And it's just, it's almost poetic and story. Like the, the book copy that he held in his hands, it had two slashes through it where this was the last thing we find with him with is the advantage of death, which I mean, that's just, again, it's a storybook ending to a man who had a pretty crazy life. Uh, he is most remembered in that time for his martyrdom. Uh, and it went down in history very famously. He would inspire missionaries for, for quite literally centuries on. Uh, but he was, mo- he was kind of the Jim Elliot of his day. But he was most effective in reforming churches and centralizing the Germanic peoples uh, into Christianity. He also helped reunite the Northern European Christians, those kind of over in England, with Rome, bringing the kind of making it more centralized altogether. And in a lot of ways, we see the work, as I said earlier, that Gregory the Great started, this idea that we can make England Christian comes to fruition in Boniface as now England is sending missionaries back into Europe, over into Germany, over into the Netherlands. And and you can, I mean, Germany goes down as the place of the Reformation. Netherlands is a very important part of that too. You can see a thousand years later how much their work was completed. This sermon is him preaching what the works of faith and love are. It's a different sermon than most of the type you listen to, and I hope you go into it with a bit of an open mind, because in a lot of ways, it is kind of the completion of all the ideas of what our faith is and what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, it's preached by a man who outwardly lived a very bold faith and was very zealous for living a holy life. I challenge you to remember what you promised to God Almighty in your baptism. First of all, to believe in God the Father Almighty and in Jesus Christ his Son and in the Holy Ghost, one Almighty God in perfect Trinity. But since it is written, faith without works is dead, and he who knows God must keep the commandments, then these are the commandments of God which we challenge you to do and to keep to love the God whom you have confessed with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and its perfection is love. Therefore, so that you may be able to attain this love, do as the apostle says and be at peace with all. And you must have mercy. For the Lord has taught, be merciful as your Father which is in heaven is merciful. And again, blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Be kind, as the apostle commands, be kind to one another, long-suffering, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Be pure, as the apostle says, follow peace and purity, without which no man will see God. Be unpolluted in heart and body, because God says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Keep your faith in marriage, because the Lord says, That which God has joined together, let no man tear apart. Let husbands love their wives with all purity, as the apostle commands. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Let wives be in subjection to their own husbands. Because God says to the woman, your desire will be to your husband and he will rule over you. Teach your children to fear God. 
In like manner also exhort your family and all your neighbors to do good works, unless anyone should be lost to God through your negligence. Because it is written, he that converts a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and will hide a multitude of sins. Invite those that are enemies to peace. For it says, blessed are the feet of them that proclaim peace. He that judges, let him judge righteously. For God says, judge your neighbor righteously. And again, with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. You will not receive bribes because the word of God says, they blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the just. And the Lord says that the man will dwell in his tabernacle, that is in his kingdom, who has not taken pay against the innocent. Observe the Sunday and hasten to church because in it, Christ arose from the dead that he might set us an example of our own resurrection. So pray and diligently guard against idle stories and gossip, because it is written, My house is the house of prayer. Therefore you should pray there, and not gossip uselessly. Give alms according to your power, because as water extinguishes fire, so alms put away sin. Be hospitable to one another, because the Lord will say in the judgment, I was a stranger and you took me in. And also some have received angels unawares. Take in strangers and remember that you yourselves are strangers in this world. Visit the sick because the Lord will say, I was sick and you visited me. Minister to the widow and to the orphan because the Lord will say that which you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. Give the tithes to the church, because the Lord commands, saying, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that is, taxes and tribute, and to God the things that are God's, and that is the tithes and the first fruits and all your vows. If you accomplish this, love towards one another, you will fulfill all the commandments. Fear God alone above all else, and honor the king, because as it is written, there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained by God. Whoever, therefore, resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. So you should obey these pious commandments. You who are servants according to the flesh, obey your masters as the apostle commands, not with eye service as men pleasers, but with a good faith and a single heart. And you, masters, do the same things to them, keeping for them justice and mercy, knowing that their master and yours is in heaven. Know the Lord's Prayer by heart, for in it every need of the present and future life is briefly and fully summed up. And Christ taught it, and therefore it is called the Lord's. And he commanded that we should pray like it, Know also the creed by heart, because it is written, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So believe and deliver this same faith to your children, and to those also for whom you have been responsible for in conversion and baptism. Because you were their sponsors to this end, that they might learn to believe by your teaching. Know also that you ought to be baptized once and then no more, once and no more to come to confirmation, 
because the apostles also laid their hands once on them that believed that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Love the public fasts, because by abstinence and the almsgiving of the people, God is pleased. For he spared the Ninevites who fasted for three days. Love justice, as it is written, Love justice, you who judge the earth. Do not give in to the persuasions of the devil, but as the apostle commands, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Receive often the communion of the body and blood of your Lord. For these, my beloved brethren, are the works of faith, which should be observed in common by all Christians. And whomever will not be a partaker of them in this world can never be a partaker of the kingdom of God in the world to come. And we humbly and lowly, yet incited by your love and care, have spoken these things to you, that no one may excuse himself, saying, I cannot distinguish between good and evil, between right and wrong. Now depart from evil, as it is written, and do good. Seek peace and pursue it, which, if you will do, the Lord will increase in you understanding and virtue, that you may be able to learn and to fulfill the higher and greater divine statutes, and will not only forgive you your sins if you persevere in these works to the end, but will also give to you, as to his own children, the eternal and heavenly kingdom, that you may be, as the apostle says, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You must also believe that Christ, the Son of God, will come at the day of judgment to judge the living and the dead. As he himself, when he went up into heaven, declared to his apostles by the angels, which said, He will come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then all flesh will behold him, as the prophet says, All flesh will see the glory of God. The wicked will see so that they may fear him whom they despise. But they will not rejoice, because they had no joy in him here. As it is written, Let the wicked be taken away, that he won't see the glory of God. Then the righteous will be separated from the wicked, for in this world they were oppressed by them. But the wicked will be punished with the devil in the punishment of his dungeons. The just will be in the kingdom of God, so that they may rejoice with God. The wicked will receive their bodies again, the same as on earth they sinned in them, so with them they may be tormented forevermore. The righteous will receive their bodies as on earth they served God faithfully in them, so that in them they may receive their reward from the loving kindness of God. All will then arise, as the apostle says, we will all rise, but we will not all be changed. For the just only will be changed into glory. Then, as the truth says, the wicked will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Then will the righteous shine out as the sun in the kingdom of their father. There will be life with God without the fear of death. Their unending light and never darkness. Their safety, which no sickness disturbs. Their unfailing fullness for them who now hunger and thirst after righteousness. Their happiness 
which no fear corrupts. There, joy which no sorrow consumes. There, eternal glory with angels and archangels, with patriarchs and prophets, with confessors, and with the holy virgins who follow Christ wherever he goes. There are things greater and better, sweeter and more pleasant, more delightful and more lovely, which are given to the saints than can be spoken or thought. Because, as says the Apostle, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, and neither has it entered into the heart of man to conceive the joys which God has prepared for them that love him. Imagine what joys he may bring you. Oh, the one who created you. These things, my little children. Ah. Oh. These things, my beloved brethren, which I, a sinner, have humbly suggested to you by my words, may the Almighty Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost speak more savingly by His power into your senses and hearts, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. I noticed that multiple times throughout the sermon, he mentions, you know, teaching your children to fear God or teaching the people you are responsible for to take care of and love God. He gives, I mean, he's giving a whole list of commands. These are the things that make up our faith. These are the things that we do to show the love of God to others without them. We're not doing what we're supposed to do with them. We look like Christians. But I just, I can't help but notice his focus on taking care of the family. A lot of times, these preachers and teachers are all about the public works, doing good, things like that. But sometimes they neglect the home, the family, and the children. I think it's really cool that this guy from the early 700s, way old, from a long time ago, he got it, and he understood how important teaching children to fear and love God, taking care of the spouse in your home, understanding that that ministry at home is on equal playing field as maybe even the most important ministry and playing field you can have to making sure that Christ goes into the next generation. And so it, it may not have been the most important thing that stood out in the sermon, but it was definitely something that as I looked at that, I was like, that's really neat. And it's something that I think a lot of people kind of need to be reminded of that what we do at home is not just personal time to give up, but it's actually time that we need to really consecrate and give over to God. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revived Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by Ed Beckel. Pastor Ed Beckel is a Washington State native and has taught for 30 plus years in Christian churches in Oregon, Washington, and Nebraska, currently in Warden, Washington. He has been serving Warden Community Church since May of 2010. If you enjoyed this unique sermon from history that you could probably listen to nowhere else in the entire world, in fact, I don't know that there's a whole lot of places you're going to hear a lot of stuff about Boniface from, uh, especially not in uh, certain more Protestant circles, but it's really important that we do keep an eye on these people from really long ago. If you enjoyed this episode, we always encourage you to share it and share the work and stuff we are doing here at Revive Studios, bringing multiple podcasts with more on the way that we are putting together and working on as quick as we can. Also, 
as we're expanding, we're putting out more content out on social media, working on more uh, videos and things like that. So if you can share those, let people know about those things. We're just trying to bring people into what we're doing so that they can know more about it um, as we start this new year, especially. So thank you so much for listening. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts. The Better Samaritan Podcast, where we're learning how to love our neighbors well in a world filled with injustice and pain. Join me, Kent Annan, and Jamie Aiton, my co-host and colleague at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, as we interview experts with insight on learning to do good better. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.